So this is a sutta on a, an astounding woman, an astounding mother, uh, Nandamata, and she was uh, apparently an anagami. So the first five lower fetters have been uh, completely destroyed. And so these are about her astounding qualities. And she's she's actually telling uh, the great venerable Sariputta about these qualities, and he's saying, "Wow, that's amazing! Mm. Wow, that's amazing! That's amazing!" Mm. And there's a few that stand out really. Um, the f well, the first one is that as she's doing some recitation or or, or reciting some suttas, apparently um, there is a a heavenly being or a god that comes to speak to her and praise her for that so the fact is that she that gods according to this are coming to speak to her you know she's not sort of going to them mm -hmm. as a human being so which kind of shows the loftiness of her mind I was you know it's so beyond this world where even she's conversing with gods and um, so Venerable Sariputta says that's amazing that's wonderful and she says so this is not my only incredible and amazing quality there is another I had an only son called Nanda who was dear and pleasing to me the rulers the, the great authorities forcibly abducted him on some pretext and had him executed. But I can't recall getting upset when he was under arrest, being arrested, imprisoned, or being put in prison, killed or being killed. And uh, Venerable Sariputta says, It's incredible, it's amazing that you purify an, an arisen thought. I don't quite understand that. But, uh, purify thought in arising. Yeah, you, as soon as the thought manifested. There's no time for it to, to accrue the unwholesomeness, the views, the leanings, the cravings. It's just seen for what it is as it is. Mm. Most people don't. Most people catch the thought down the stream when it's already polluted with this or that, and then they have to undo it back. Mm. Uh, but if the mind is developed, as soon as the thought arises, it's seen correctly with right wisdom. As this is unwholesome. This should not be delighted in or pursued. Well, I think it, that that's not even that's even gone now. To. She doesn't even need no. to say that anymore. That's why it's so amazing. It says like the pure, you purify mm -hmm. even as it arises. Right. Yes, yeah. as it yeah. arises, it's being purified. So there is no oh, and I shouldn't think these unwholesome thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, you know what you know. Disgusting as disgusting. You don't have to keep telling yourself unwholesome as unwholesome. Yeah, exactly. So there is no more lapsing of yeah. the context in regard to the immediate arising of thoughts. That's where the context mm -hmm. penetrated through. Yeah. Thoughts of what? My son being prison. Anything. Killed. Anything. Mm. Thought of this, thought of that, thought that would give rise to sensuality or ill will or sadness or grief or hindrance. Doesn't matter. Mm. In its nature it's already purified before it could even give rise to such things. Mm -hmm. It's seen as it's seen as a thought. As in its nature. It's understood in its nature, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so She's she can see her mind, seeing the signs of the mind. Oh, she and way past that, that point. Yeah, yeah. 
So purifying the rising. You see the signs of your mind, and then you can start purifying the thoughts correctly. But she is already purifying the arising of the thought. That's already affected by her understanding. So she doesn't even need to purify her thoughts. She's cleaning things at the top mm. of the spring. It's, she's keeping it clean. Mm. She's not even cleaning mm. it. She's keeping it clean. Mm. So some might say, well, she, the son, her son, she obviously didn't care. She was so like, well, yeah, you can be cynical about everything. Care. But she said herself, the son she loved, the son mm. she, she, she raised. It yeah. was very pleasing to her. So if you have a reason to think that she was lying, sure. But uh, Sariputta didn't think that. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, you can also think, oh, she sounds very conceited. Oh, yes, Venerable Sariputta, that's not the only amazing quality that I have. Let me tell you more about myself. I mean, to an uninstructed worldling, that can sound as the utter conceit and arrogance. But it's just factually true. These are things factually amazing, because <coughs> Dhamma is amazing. And that's exactly what she says. Mm -hmm. She practiced it, she developed it, it's like, oh, wow. Even she's surprised how amazing these things are once you practice them. For a lot of, you know, initially, it just sounds like, oh, but that's impossible. You know, the only way that somebody could not care or not mm. be moved by such mm. an event is if they just become like a kind of a robot or yeah, something. Yeah, that they just don't yeah. have any emotion or feeling or any, yeah. they don't see the significance of things anymore. Mm which is kind of why you can't Well, they dismiss it. They dismiss <laughs> the possibility because mm -hmm. it's just incomprehensible how that's possible. Mm -hmm. Thus, it's not possible because mm -hmm. my own limited thinking is still my reference for mm -hmm. what's mm -hmm. right and wrong. Exactly. That's most people, basically. Yeah. But she was, obviously, she clearly knew the significance of things. Of things. My yeah. dear and pleasing mm -hmm. son. Mm -hmm. And yet, isn't And, well, again, she would not have listed mm -hmm. that as an amazing thing that her mind didn't move amidst this quite a horrible experience of having your son falsely imprisoned and killed, if she did not understand the and, and kind of experience that significance, the full weight, the full extent mm. of having your own son abducted, tortured, killed, all at a false pretext, and you couldn't do anything about it, and yet her mind didn't move. That's the amazing aspect. It's like, oh, I didn't care about that son. I never saw him. He was a drunkard. He was killed, I didn't care. Well, that's not much of an accomplishment, mm -hmm. isn't it? You wouldn't list that as a great thing. means she actually felt the full extent of that experience, yet remained unmoved. Mm -hmm. And the Dhamma is wonderful because of that. And same that other man who also understood <coughs> the parallel sensuality, the full degree of it, went back home after being with the Buddha and said, I, you know, the, the sexual intercourse is unthinkable for me anymore. So told his wives he won't, he'll be celibate for the rest of his life. Basically, it was an anagami. If you want to stay here, I'll support you. If you want to go and remarry, I'll support you. I'll, I'll set you up. And then uh, his, his first wife says, okay, take me to such and such man. He says, now, you could think, oh, he didn't feel anything. He was a robot. But then he would not have described the whole thing and the significance of it. Because he said, no, he took his first, his dearest wife, the one that was longest with him, by her hand, took him to that man, joined their hands, poured the water over in that ceremony of giving the blessing, and he was surprised that his own mind didn't move at any part of that process. And then exclaimed, isn't this Dhamma wonderful? Once you practice it and understand the danger of sensuality, your mind doesn't move amidst things that I'm surprised I didn't move. So he felt the full weight of it, 
yet it wasn't enough to move the mind that freed yourself from it. And that's what I say, like, you find a way out of suffering amidst the suffering, and there is no greater verification than that. And that's the one, yeah, for a mother. For a mother's son, yeah. In his case, it was that. There's always going to be something. Mm -hmm. So the question is not about destroying the significance of things. There is no son. Telling you, exactly, there is no son, there is no mother, there is no wife, there is no dearness, there is no... There is. Yet you're not moved by it because you train your mind in regard to that. But for most people, the idea of training is the idea of denial. Oh, there is no, there's nothing real. And kalapas are constantly flicking and changing and atoms are flying. Nothing's real, nothing is real in reality. It's just these empty designations, conventions. Yeah, good luck with that then. Because when the confinement does come and those secondary management explanations don't apply anymore, you're left with what you started, suffering and not knowing the escape from it. And the difference then would be basically seeing it here or back then, basically. Yeah, the difference would be recognizing that it doesn't come from the from mm. the significance, from the things, from the experiences, it comes from your own resistance yeah. towards it. People would regard that as being a bad parent, even if you were actually you know, tr- making some efforts to, f- but not have not being emotionally involved. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. of course, of course, yeah. Th- yeah. That would be considered. Oh, it's all good, but you need to like the you only way for you to show your love is to cry mm-hmm. and to be emotionally disturbed. But if you stop and look at it closely, the only reason people give in to tears and emotional disturbance is because they don't want to bear it. Yeah, they can't bear it. So it's a magical release of the pressure. Just break down, cry, and then you'll feel better after the physical fatigue sets mm. in. So you are actually loving that person less because you cannot endure the extent of their significance, but you break down like a little child and cry as a defense mechanism, not as a great love. So to take in the full significance yeah. of... Uh, yeah, because that's like, you cry, you don't want to face it, you act, you kick, you scream when your mind moves. And your mind moves when the mind can't bear the significance of it. The but, pressure, mm. the weight, the love, whatever it is. So, it's correct to say that the only person they can truly see the, ex- the, ex- the extent of loving your son would be at least an anagami, needs to be at least an anagami. Or have at least the right view. <coughs> and they'll be able to fully take the weight of someone's significance, presence, love, death, without moving, without fearing it. They can see how important that person was to them. Otherwise, they're just selfish. That's why they're crying. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief. It, it's basically difficult to remain unmoved. Yeah, it's a bit and then, okay. on top of it, you now have the view that says, no, 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 you should be moved on account of love yeah, or yeah. whatever emotion yeah, yeah. you That's have. That's virtuous. But yeah, but then you realize, well, the only reason I say I should be moved is because I can't help but move. Yeah. If I'm honest, at least if I were to have an option to not move, okay, then I can maybe decide to move or not. But I don't have, I just move because it's just crushing me. I just can't bear it. it yeah, That's how much I love you. I. That's how much I care about avoiding discomfort in my own mind. And people do understand that. Like when they say, you know, people are greatly in love, it's like, it's a very selfish thing. Like you basically almost objectify this person that represents that love for you. Because that's how self-centered you are. 
And yeah, you'll be distraught. You won't eat for a month. You'll be crying if, if, if things... But all because you're so selfish. Yeah, Because you can't bear it. You can't bear it on the mental level. So you're doing all these magical acts and breakdowns to cope with it. Mm. You just don't want to face pain. Just don't want to face it. Yeah, that's what it is. <coughs> yeah. You're not able to... Yeah, allow this pain to endure. You have to, like, yeah, we have Hollywood and all these, you know, glamorizing yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. acting out of it. But actually, yeah, if you just are, you know, in a way, like, friend, friendly with this pain, then, yeah, you're able to see that it's possible to not have this obsession uh, to, to try and escape this pain. Yeah. Um, and then you, you <coughs> could then clearly, with, a, with an unpolluted kind of uh, context, see the significance of that person, whether it was just essential infatuation, obsession, whether it was a genuinely uh, close friend or something, doesn't matter, because you would not be magically sort of inventing things to cover up the weight. Because the mind's not moved, so the mind can remain facing it, seeing mm. it. Yeah, th that doesn't stop you from, I don't know, looking after them or helping exactly. them. Exactly, not at all, <coughs> not at all. Quite yeah. the opposite. You, do it yeah. Better, yeah. you will mm. do it even better because you're not acting selfishly. Yeah. Yeah. You're not yeah. acting out of that compulsion and pressure and fear. <coughs> but also, like, let's say that they do something uh, a bit dodgy uh, exactly. and you're intoxicated by your feelings yeah. towards them. You you're not going to be able to help them. Yeah. You're not going to be able to say to them, you need to watch out like that is what you just did is wrong yeah. mm -hmm. and that is the most loving thing you can yeah. do to that yeah, person to, yeah. to, to, to be very firm with them what is genuinely good for them <coughs> yeah. uh, you could see that and, and maintain the perspective yeah. but for that you need to work on yourself mm. you don't work that by loving others and dealing with others no you work that by training your mind how not to move amidst things they want to move it so sense restraint guarding of the doors and unwholesome things on a day-to-day -day level these little things these little thoughts little choices that you feel like oh well I know this is sensual but I'll, I'll, I'll do it no when you recognize it when you're self-conscious of it you don't do it that's the practice but if you don't think the practice is there if you think practice is kind of oh well you know I do my best my precepts are more or less okay I avoid things, sometimes I slip a bit, but yeah, I spend three hours sitting cross-legged and feeling the breath in my abdomen and, and everything else. That's not the practice. I mean, the Buddha never taught meditation to lay people. He never taught meditation in contemporary sense of that word, and to anyone, but there was no any way that he was instructing lay people, householders, how to practice. Mm -hmm. Samadhi or Samatha, mm -hmm. yet this lady was an anagami with jhanas at will on account of what? Well, if you read further sutta, you'll see on account of what? On account of purifying her thoughts since she was, she was a young girl. So just do that. Don't do anything else. Mm. Just every unwholesome thoughts that arises, you purify it. No exception. No, no rest day. No cheat day during the week. That's, but that's all you need to do. Don't need to go on top of a mountain. <coughs> Don't need to ordain. Don't need to sit cross-legged six hours. Don't need to go to Burma and do a retreat. Just purify every thought that's unwholesome in its arising. Every single time. And then you can yourself partake in these amazing qualities and the gods will come and talk to you. How <laughs> <laughs> would you, you know, especially in the beginning, like, you know, it's, it's very tricky with the criteria that you use for wholesome, non-wholesome. Um, Is it though? 
Can, it's tricky if nobody, if if somebody hasn't invest any thought in it whatsoever. But if you start that, like I know myself, when I, I, I didn't even, I don't think I was even, I even read the suttas at that point yet. But I was, I kind of, no, I think I want to learn how to calm my mind or meditation or something. I had some broad interest, and the first and the most obvious thing, like even before I educated myself, was well. I can't at the same time then continue sort of drinking, partying, going out and doing the same things I'm doing. That's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I have to stop this and then seek to educate myself further how to tame the mind. But if you're honest, it can kind of, it's clear. Deep down, everybody would know. But say you are unclear. Well, yeah, read the suttas and the Buddha is hammering it in all the time. What's unwholesome? And then you try and understand it for yourself and then you'll see it. Whatever you're about to do. Ask yourself why you're doing it. What's the reason for it? Not for the sake of a great answer or resolution, just for the sake of clarity. And if it's like, no, this is factually unwholesome, fine. I don't need to do anything else. I don't need to now counter these thoughts and then do this practice. No, I just need to not act out of it and endure that for as long as it's present. And then I haven't acted out of it. And you do it once, twice, three times. And it starts by not acting out. You practice it successfully. Acting out will not even be an option because your thoughts would be clear in their arising. So let alone action coming out of it, that's that's just not, not going to be possible. Was it like not acting out is kind of uneventful, mm. you know. So it seems like nothing is going. Mm. Not what are you doing? Nothing. Yeah. You know. I need a, something more palpable yeah. to do you as my practice. intention, yeah. it just dies. Yeah. So you didn't act out there. There's no fireworks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's not so easy to see or understand what passion, aversion, delusion is. But at least what I found for myself, that was just an excuse. It's like you said, it's obvious what it is. Mm. But saying to myself, well, I'm not so clear about this, makes me able to act out of it. You emphasize, basically. you might not understand the full extent of it mm. and you emphasize that aspect so that you keep acting out of exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. But you realize, but wait, I do understand a great extent of it. So if <laughs> well, I and to it, that extent, I shouldn't act then. Yeah, yeah. And then the rest of it mm-hmm. will be understood. Yeah. Mm. So just a little bit of honesty is needed for everybody individually and, and it's, it's very clear. Mm. And that's exactly why some monks and nuns in the suttas, that's all they needed in terms of the instruction. Whatever you know, it's unwholesome, don't do it. Don't cultivate it whenever you know it's wholesome, cultivate it. And it was enough for Arahantship. As a principle, yeah, it remains standing. I'll just go on with the suttas. Mm. Uh, this is number three. Uh, she says, This is not my only incredible and amazing quality. There is another. My husband passed away, and he was born in one of the realms of the spirits. He revealed to me his previous life form, but I can't recall getting upset on that account. So she's seeing sort of spirits manifesting. Yeah, something which would otherwise be frightening to people. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. seeing a ghost or something. But number four. He says, I used Mm -hmm. to be your husband. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) No problem. Uh, Number four stands out a bit to me that... She says, uh, this is another one of my incredible, amazing qualities. Ever since we were both young and I was given in marriage to my husband, 
I can't recall betraying him even in thought, still less in deed. Mm. So even when young, she was already um, doing this purifying practice. Well, yeah, exactly. Thought, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. The, it's, not, it's not something overnight. So who, who would be able to s- not even have a thought about another, like in her case, another man, even, yeah. even a fleeting <coughs> thought, ever? That's how steady, unmovable, and thorough and transparent and clear her mind was even when she was a young girl given into marriage mm-hmm. there's some you know but again so okay so I'm not on that level mm. but what's stopping you to start now yeah. what's stopping you now to purify your thoughts as they arise yeah. it's not because it's like oh well she was just an amazing yeah. person works yeah. well yeah. for her yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly but one critic one one uh, thing I heard long ago was well you see she was she had all these amazing qualities mm. uh, and she had a son she had a husband thus mm. uh, she, she wasn't celibate she was fully engaged in sensuality oh yeah, uh, yeah. full on and she still yeah. attained the highest yeah. uh, one of the highest goals yeah. in so so not, not being celibate uh, means she was not celibate when she had a son. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Because in other suttas, the Buddha mocks and criticizes Brahmins, they're the worse than dogs, because dogs would mate only when in season in order to reproduce. Yeah, which is a higher... Yeah. A higher so that also, if somebody wonders how far I can go with five precepts, well, that's how far you should go. Yeah, why? Yes, you can... You, you Technically, you're not celibate. Because you will reproduce to have uh, offspring. That's the only excuse for not being celibate. Mm-hmm. So that's the truly virtuous person in terms of... Yeah. So yes. And nothing after that. Nothing, nothing before, before that. Mean nothing everything. After that. You can yeah. now do anything that's of a sexual nature. Yeah, yeah of course. It's all, it's all yeah. okay now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the five no. precepts. It's my no. wife. It's my husband. Yeah, exactly. So I can just indulge because it's consensual yeah. or something. So, and, but what stands out is that even when I was young, I did not portray my husband, so she didn't. She had a mentally, she was disgusted by that act, even just fantasizing about it, mm. even mm. about another man. Yeah. She was already mentally disgusted or yeah, repelled yeah. by that. Yeah, yeah. withdrawn. So from it. it would be quite a stretch to think that physically she wasn't. Yeah, yeah. physically yeah. she yeah. was all about <laughs> it. Yeah, because you will it's not impossible. be able to like, like even purify your thoughts on that level if your actions are not yeah. purified. So you can only imagine you know, Yeah, so if somebody wants to use that so as an argument that they can be not celibate mm. and uh, practice for a anagami, sure, but then that not celibate needs to be understood on the level have sexual intercourse only for that reproducing. That's yeah, it. without any passion. Basically. Doesn't matter if passion overwhelms you, whatever, maybe you, you need more work, but Engage in an act only to have a child. Nothing else. Yeah, to That's extend it. the family. That's it. You know. For the purpose of extending a family, of, of whatever. Yeah, exactly. Even that, actually. The reason why you would have a child, but let's not get into that. Mm. Like back then, the entire kind of um, continuation of, of parents and the, the family and everything would, would depend on having children. Mm. And today, that's not the case. So why do you want to have children as well? So, sure, you don't have to be celibate. Uh, on the occasion, you want to, you need to have a child. 
if those criteria are not met, well, you cannot use this suit as an argument. And that's also, see, that's why she's an anagami later. Yeah. Not she's not she's like, oh, she was so pure because she was anagami. No, it's because she practiced this purity, she became anagami. Because she was withdrawn from sensuality, she became anagami. I mean, the Buddha said that a mind can enter a jhana, a monk to enter a jhana who hasn't been withdrawn, who hasn't understood the danger, gratification, the escape in terms of sensuality. That's not possible. It's not possible. Unless you fully abandon sensuality beforehand, it's not possible to enter jhana, to, to, to experience jhana. And in other suttas it says that the first jhana is necessary for fruits of anagami. In other words, anagami is free from sensuality before he is an anagami. That's why he's an anagami, because he's free from sensuality, not other way around. So this is a, a fifth amazing quality. Ever since I declared myself a lay follower, I can't recall deliberately breaking any precept. Yeah. So when she declared mm. that, oh, by the way, yeah, I am a when lay she, follower. When she understood the Dhamma, yeah. she got the right view. For the rest of my life. Yeah, that's usually when people declare being a lay follower means they understood the Dhamma as a householder. And hers? And then jhanas? Six, yeah. Her six amazing qualities that she can get all jhanas at will. Yeah. And uh, and then the seventh was, uh, of the five lower fetters taught by the Buddha, I don't see any that I haven't given up. Hmm. See, that's another thing. Given, given up. up. It's something you maintain, you hold on to, and you see that. You know that. And that's those little things that I keep saying throughout the day. Little thoughts, little actions. That is that is your, your tether. That is your connection to it. That you're willingly, at every individual instance, refusing to give up. Because you're not diligent enough. As simple as that. So the diligence is measured then on that level, not on how many hours per day you stay awake and sleep and how many how many how many meditation sessions you have and how, how silent you are, and how slow you walk and no, it's how diligent you are in regard to dispelling the unwholesome states and purifying thoughts as they arise, enduring them on the right level and not acting out of it. So she given them up fully. She can't see anything that she hasn't given up in terms of the five lower fetters. So how do you abandon the five lower fetters? By giving them up. Everything that partakes in them. The choice. When you, when you can see your choice. Exactly. Yeah. And you, once you, you are basically restrained enough, having kept the precepts enough, so you stop ignoring your choice. Because automatically you ignore the choice. The choice is always there. You see that. To take, to touch, to look, to hear, you just ignore it because it's just too quick, too small, too little, too insignificant, seemingly. So, well, if you are basically not ignoring that choice, the choice becomes apparent, and that's how you purify it in its arising, which is an amazing quality. <laughs>